Welcome to another edition of Between the Rows, the podcast of Glacier Farm Media. I'm your host this week, Gord Gilmore. In this edition, we'll talk to weather expert Bruce Burnett about where this drought ranks in history. Well, certainly there's um, a lot of similarities here with uh, the conditions that we've seen in the 30s as well as in the 1980s. Curtis Rempel of the Canola Council of Canada joins us to tell us why agronomy, not acres, are the answer to growing canola demand. Once you start tightening up rotations, you sort of start putting an upper limit on your farm. And we'll be checking in with Manitoba Cattle Producers President Tyler Fulton about the tough decisions his members are making in the face of a crippling drought. That's typically the last thing that you look to do is is cull some of your, you know, your real productive capacity in your breeding herd. But we are already seeing that. But first, a word from our sponsor. Part of being a farmer is being an accountant and a mechanic and a chemist. You have lots on the go. So FarmLink makes your grain marketing go further. We help you reach your financial goals with calculated sales decisions. No bias, just solutions and results. Plus, with our new app, GrainFox, we bring every opportunity right to your fingertips. Literally. Start seeing the returns that'll get your family ahead. You've earned it. FarmLink. Your work is worth more. Get started at farmlinksolutions.ca. Welcome back. In the past couple of weeks, Manitoba Livestock Auction Marts have broken new and unwelcome ground. They've been hosting emergency sales in July, a month that's typically a hiatus for these operations. That's because of a prolonged drought. This is the third season. It's causing producers to reduce their herds dramatically. As producers across the West grapple with low feed supplies, it's weighing heavily on the sector. Tyler Fulton is president of the Manitoba Beef Producers. He joins us now. Tyler, thanks for taking the time to speak with us. Well, thanks for having me, Gord. I, uh, I look forward to the opportunity and talking about this situation. And speaking of this situation, it's not a great one, that's for sure. How are Manitoba's cattle producers holding up during this really stressful time for them? Well, it's difficult, uh, without a doubt. Um, I I see the cattle industry in Manitoba and really across Canada as being just one of the most resourceful and, and resilient um, sectors of ag. Um, I'm always amazed at, at uh, the innovation that I see in addressing emerging situations. But this d- drought uh, across Western Canada um, is... Uh, is remarkable and is um, something that we're going to be dealing with for you know months and and years ahead and um, and so I'm already seeing obviously producers take proactive measures uh, in order to uh, well first and foremost look after um, the animals that are under our care and um, you know and 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 obviously uh, make the appropriate business decisions that are uh, that are best for them in their own situation. Now, at times, though, these are going to be some very hard decisions to make. Uh, what are the kinds of decisions they're being forced to make? 
Some must be grappling with the question of whether their operation remains viable after such a prolonged drought. Uh, I know that uh, there's been a lot of cattle already culled, and you can you can cull and you can cull until you start cutting into your main herd. Uh, and I understand there've already been some emergency cattle sales. So what are the things that they're they're being forced to do now? That's typically the last thing that you look to do is is cull some of your you know your real productive capacity in your breeding herd. But we are already seeing that in in particular certain regions of Manitoba that that have been the hardest hit. We we're seeing breeding stock and pairs go to market simply because there's not the pasture to support them, and producers are making um, those really tough decisions ahead of knowing that there's there's really no weather event that's going to solve this in the in the short term producers are looking at any and all alternatives to feed sources um that includes uh baling um as for, as green feed cereals that are otherwise not going to make a crop that would be economically viable to harvest and so I think that's a real focus uh, over the, the few days and weeks ahead. And speaking of the alternative feed sources, has the situation been made a bit worse by the high, high grain and forward contract prices? Uh, you know, ordinarily, as you say, you might expect some grain crops to be bailed for feed. But I'm hearing that there are such high penalties on the table for grain producers that they're not sure they want to do that, uh, that they're going to have to harvest every bushel that they can just to sort of get out from under those. Uh, are you hearing the same sort of thing? Uh, are there other options for rescue feed? Or is this a situation where the cupboard really is just going to be simply bare going into winter or nearly bare? It's it's really tough across Western Canada where, you know, w- where there would be any excess supply. Um, so we really are at Manitoba Beef Producers focused on tr- trying to come up with solutions that would allow um, livestock operations to take advantage, you know, to make use of crops that aren't economically viable to to harvest for grain. What implication is this going to have for the Manitoba and, by extension, Western Canadian cattle herd? Uh, I am, we, you spoke about destocking uh, uh, earlier, and I uh, I wonder if this is happening at somewhat unprecedented rates. Uh, uh, I know there was at least one emergency cattle sale already in July at a mart that never has a sale in July. Uh, can you comment on that? Yeah, the, the sales are being added at, at uh, several different auction marts now. Um, I know Gladstone is planning to open up. Um, Ashern um, is also planning or is, is planning a sale, um, several sales over the course of the summer, which um, several of these are, are, are just really unprecedented actions reflecting the fact that um, that we know uh, producers are going to need to sell down their herd. The goal really, you know, from a long-term perspective is to maintain the productive capacity. But really, in the context of, you know, 6 and $7 a bushel uh, feed barley and all of the commodity prices being at, at really high levels, it does make it just increasingly difficult to, you know, to pencil out keeping animals around. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of relief in the upcoming forecast. And in in all likelihood, we're too late this season anyway. What are the next steps that producers are going to be forced to take? And is there any sign of uh, any kind of help from the from government? The next steps are really about taking proactive measures to, you know, to mitigate, you know, the impact as much as they possibly can. 
Um, that means approaching your neighbors to ask them about the possibility of, of taking a crop for green feed. That may also be uh, about securing straw um, so that you can use that as roughage in a ration that maybe would use dry distillered grains or uh, a portion of, of, uh, of pellets or feed grains. From a longer term point of view, Manitoba beef producers is right now active in, you know, in trying to um, establish what the what the best ask is that that uh, that addresses the situation. And the the situation obviously varies pretty significantly across the province from from complete disasters to um, to just exceptional drought that is reducing, you know, that's reducing hay and pasture production. Well, thank you for taking the time to run us through this. Uh, I'm sorry it's such a grim situation, and I wish we could have spoke on better uh, conditions. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate the opportunity. It's it's really a, a critical time right now, and so um, I, I really uh, I want to point out the fact that um, you know, please, uh, all producers, just uh, stay safe and and know that that we'll get through this as an industry together. It's, it's a tough situation and, and the mental uh, stress that goes along with it um, is, is taxing. And please just look for support when and if uh, you need that. Uh, we know it's a really tough situation and hopefully together we can, we can make it through. Yes, thank you, Tyler. As more emergency auctions are held, producers will feel enormous pressure. There's no shame in reaching out for help, which is available in each of the prairie provinces through their respective farm stress lines. You've been listening to Between the Rows, the podcast of Glacier Farm Media. I'm your host this week, Gord Gilmore. Bruce Burnett, Glacier Farm Media's Director of Markets and Weather Information, has been watching this drought very closely. He joins us now to give us some perspective on its scope. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us today. Good to be here. So I'm wondering, how does this current period stack up to past hot and dry streaks, like I'm thinking the 30s and the 80s, and in particular the 80s, because I've heard a lot of comparisons. Well, certainly there's um, a lot of similarities here with uh, the conditions that we've seen in the 30s, as well as in the 1980s. Uh, think all you have to do is to take a look at uh, record temperatures whenever we've uh, come close to them. And they are usually either in the 30s or in the 80s uh, in terms of previous records for any given time. Uh, the droughts, though, are different. Every drought is different, and this year is no exception to that. Um, compared to 1988, uh, the drought onset, or at least the onset of the higher temperatures, has occurred a little bit later. It's hard to uh, realize given the fact that we saw some record temperatures at the end of June in a lot of areas across the prairies. But uh, in 1988, we were setting a lot of the records in May and early June. So uh, this is a different drought. Uh, I would say that it's more extensive than it was in 88. Uh, back in 1988, a large portion of Alberta and even parts of uh, western Saskatchewan missed the really, really dry conditions. Uh, this year seems to be almost an equal opportunity drought where 
we're covering most of the prairie region with uh, below uh, normal precipitation and above normal temperatures. So the question I have then is, is this simply the weather cycle turning as it does, or is this something that's out of the ordinary and should we be concerned about it? Well, I think, again, this is uh, pretty typical of the droughts that we've had on the prairies, that is the severe droughts. Um, uh, So I don't think that it's something that you can attribute to um, big, 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 big changes to our climatic pattern here on the prairies. Uh, that's going to be something that we'll have to uh, look at probably after this drought is over and uh, maybe even over the next couple of years here to see uh, uh, how how we respond to it in terms of uh, the weather uh, post-2021. Uh, so I think it's a little bit premature to get overly concerned uh, about having a drought of this magnitude. Uh, what does concern me, of course, is the uh, record-setting temperatures that we've had in some areas of the prairies, especially across the northern growing areas uh, in late June and now uh, possibly again next week in July. So uh, something to keep a, a close eye on. But again, for climatic purposes, I think it'll take a while here to figure out where this drought ranks and in terms of if this is really an exceptional event. Well, thanks for taking the time to fill us in on this, Bruce. Thanks a lot. That was Bruce Burnett, Glacier Farm Media Director of Markets and Weather Information. You're listening to Between the Rows, the podcast of Glacier Farm Media. I'm your host this week, Gord Gilmore. Next up, we have a special sponsored feature interview on grain marketing, brought to you by Kevin Jaworski with Mark Lepp of FarmLink. I'm Kevin Uorski of Glacier Farm Media, and I'm joined here today by Mark Lepp of FarmLink to talk to us about the fundamentals of grain marketing. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Kevin. Thank you for having me. So, Mark, let's start with the basics. How do you define grain marketing? Well, grain marketing isn't an entirely new idea, but we recognize that many producers might not be aware of what exactly it is and what the advantages to developing a customized grain marketing strategy for their farm. You know, simply put, grain marketing is a, is a technical art of selling grain. You know, grain marketing is really a series of informed decisions and subsequent actions that turn grain into profit. It really considers two big, two main factors, you know, the market analysis and marketing decisions and puts you as a producer in control of your grain. What should growers then be thinking about when setting up a grain marketing plan? Well, with any, any grain marketing plan, there are really key five or, you know, five key elements to grain marketing. You know, number one being analyze the markets. You know, it's really important to gather unbiased marketing, uh, market information from credible sources to make smart grain marketing decisions. You know, monitor those market, market decisions or sorry, monitor the market conditions to to make a sale when pricing is strong. So that's number one to analyze the markets. The second key component of the five would be to manage the risk. Um, you know, so you know, choose the crops with the greatest income potential 
um, recognizing that you know we, we have to do that within your uh, crop rotation uh, opportunities and and also when, when you're looking at those crops understand the risks associated with growing that crop both uh, agronomically uh, from an agronomic perspective but also understand the risks from each of that crop in a portfolio approach uh, as far as market volatility within within uh, within those crops so the third part of a of the five elements of grain marketing would be to understand your position you know, uh, you know, know where you're at. By that, by that, I mean, you know, calculate what your benchmark sales prices are. Have an understanding of where you stand as the market changes within your portfolio of crops, and where your profitability numbers are, and and then out of that will come what your target prices are to achieve those, those goals of your operation. The fourth one would be, you know, to, to use your strategies and tools. So once you've identified, you know, from point three, understand what your position is. Uh, you know, what, once you identified what your your break even prices are and your targets are for your op, for your uh, for your grain marketing, you can develop marketing strategies that work within your goals and, and your preferences. So by that I mean some strategies like grain contracts, forward selling strategies, grain storage strategies, uh, and then also futures markets uh, to uh, to hedge as well. Then the last part component of that with a, those five key elements would be set timelines and evaluate, you know, with, uh, you know, to take a look at your goal breakdowns and always take a look annually, look back and uh, and see where what happened um, since you made your, your, your grain marketing plan and uh, what changed, what didn't change. And uh, and reflect on areas that we that are, are areas for improvement. You know, always continue to review your plan and adapt as you know, adapt it as as required, because the markets change very quickly. You know, a marketing plan is really only as good as the day it's written. But once you have those five key components, um, it's very easy uh, to adjust and to reflect and to evaluate to uh, adjust that plan to make sure that it's the best for your farm. Who are the players in a grain marketing plan? Well, there are really key, four main players when it comes to grain marketing: producers, uh, advisors, and analysts, buyers, uh, grain buyers, and then also storage and transportation. So, Mark, Mark, I know we've briefly talked about it on previous episodes, but now FarmLink is adding a new fundamental to grain marketing. And that's Grain Fox. Can you tell me more about this new app? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, grain Fox is modern grain marketing. You know, it's grain marketing technology. It's a tool that uses FarmLink's market analysis, which is backed by a team of analysts. We have a, a network of local grain marketing advisors and 20 years of statistical and historical data. So what it does, it gives producers, you know, three main things, financial power. Uh, so it allows you to see what you, to to know what you have, what it's worth, uh, combined with the strategies of when to sell and most, most importantly, why. Um, it, create, it has a key feature of automation with a human touch, you know, so far as producers are in control of production, uh, but we're, we're here to help navigate when to sell. And probably one of the most important things is, you know, unbiased advisor support on demand. You know, producers can get a quick second opinion whenever they need it to sell with confidence. So some of the really neat things that we have coming up, uh, features that are coming here in the next, uh, you know, before the end of the year, would be a local price mapper. Um, so as a producer, you can have great insights on what the local cash prices are uh, in your area at your fingertips. 
we're uh, creating a, a comprehensive grain management system so that um, you know we can there's there's some there's a lot of great technology on the production side and really what we're providing with our uh, grain management system is you know what do we do from the bin to the bank you know keeping track of all sales and you know adding uh, budgeting and benchmarking component cash flow requirements and um, you know when I you know back to you know what's you know what are the key elements to a grain marketing plan we're really uh, adding all this into uh into grain fox and um you know we're using machine learning uh to uh, enhance analysis make recommendations uh predict you know use that to help with predictive sales recommendations price trends market tra- market forecasters and uh simply put to you know it's a smart grain marketing recommendations based on farm business profile Wow, thanks for that overview. Um, so how can producers then try GrainFox? Well, it works on a desktop and a mobile when you download load the GrainFox app uh, from the Apple Store or Google Play Store. Um, you can visit our website at farmlinksolutions.ca and you're, you can try GrainFox for free for 90 days. Thank you very much, Mark. That was a, that was a great uh, overview there. And we appreciate you coming on to Between the Rows. Thank you very much. That was a special sponsored feature brought to you by FarmLink. I'm Gord Gilmore and you're listening to Between the Rows. Canada's canola crushers are on an expansion tear. They're set to dramatically grow Canada's domestic processing capacity in the next few years. It's causing some concern that farmers may skimp on rotation to meet the new demand. But Canola Council of Canada Vice President of Crop Production and Innovation, Curtis Rempel, says there's plenty of room to increase production intensity. He joins us now. Curtis, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Gord. It's my pleasure to to be here. So with all the new canola crushing capacity set to come on stream, it seems likely that uh, crop production will have to increase. Do we know anything about what the scale of the increase is that we're talking about? We do. The Canola Council strategic plan, Keep It Coming, was designed exactly to address that. There were, there were projections for increased crush capacity, and then there were project, projections for yield increases based on global demand forecasts for how much uh, canola oil would be required, say, by 2025. So our strategic plan goes to 2025. And basically, the global demand was was sort of pegged at 26 million metric tons, which translates to 52 bushels an acre, which is roughly what would be needed to um, allow for our crush capacity to be realized optimally on the prairies then with the with the plant expansions that have been announced. So it sounds to me like you're expecting that uh, uh, increase to largely come from uh, productivity rather than uh, uh, acreage expansion. I have, however, heard some people expressing concern it may come in the form of tighter rotations. Is that something that you guys worry about? It's definitely, you know, top of top of mind. And maybe I'll just go back to the initial piece. You're, you're right. We are looking at yield intensification as our strategy and not acre expansion. There aren't that many more acres of farmland. And, and, and there's probably some acre expansion in some pockets, uh, of the say the brown soil zones, et cetera. But mostly we're looking at yield intensification. Typically, if once you start tightening up rotations, you sort of start putting an upper limit 
on your farm then, because you do have this, you know, a potential for buildup for, for disease inoculum, insect pest eggs, those types of things. You know the story. When when you start tightening rotations, then uh, then the the, the uh, ability for pests to start building up at some point in time starts limiting yields as well. So it sounds to me like you want them to be uh, aware that uh, some of these tighter rotations can actually be counterproductive in the long run. Is that a, a fair assessment? That's, uh, that is a fair assessment, yeah. Everything has the ability to just be compounded a bit more. What are some of the things that they can count on uh, in terms of meeting this increased uh, goal of increased production without taking that road? The genetic yield potential of all of the hybrids varieties that growers have access to from all of our life science companies. In, in almost all of the canola producing ecozones, they have the, they definitely have the genetic yield potential to sort of hit that 52 bushels an acre and probably even more like, you know, 55, 60, even, even potentially in the, in the brown soil zones, certainly in the blacks, gray wooded, there's the, the, the life science companies have done a remarkable job of, of delivering yield potential. And so then I think it's become agronomy to maximize yield. We've put the agronomy practices into, into four buckets, stand establishment, integrated pest management, fertility management, and harvest management. And we've looked at yield gains, like two bushels from one, three bushels from the other, just by sort of trying, trying to optimize the agronomy in those, in those buckets that are part of the plant the canola plant development cycle during the year. Uh, is there some uh, lag time uh, with producers kind of recognizing just how good the uh, the genetic potential of these crops has become? Is agronomy catching up to genetics is my question. Agronomy is catching up to genetics. And I think a lot of that is based on the great research that the value chain and the grower groups, um, especially the provincial grower groups fund. And there's a lot of public-private partnership research that's ongoing between uh, academic institutions, Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, and uh, our grower groups and industry. And so I, I think we kind of know where the where the innovation gaps are, um, and and the agronomy gaps are, and we're slow we're we're plugging them. And then the other piece is uh, growers are are working with equipment that's designed for large seeds like corn, cereals, soybean, etc., and adapting a small seeded crop. And the equipment manufacturers have really been stepping to the plate in the last number of years because they recognize the opportunity as well. This uh, expansion, it seems like it's been one plant after another announced either for construction or expansion. And when you have something that's growing that quickly, the question that, uh, that, that immediately comes up is, is there some risk that crush could outstrip supply? But it seems to me that that you're pretty optimistic that the goal is attainable, that the industry will rise to the challenge, and that these plants will be supplied. I am optimistic, and I'll reiterate again why you know sort of why my optimism. The genetic yield potential is is there. Um, we kind of know the agronomy gaps that we that we've had to address and are addressing to to help growers get there, and um, and and then you know we do. We can't control for the weather. Some better weather prediction might might be useful as well. But I, I think we got, we we know what the tool we know we know we have the genetics. We know what we need to do, and I believe we can. Well, that's great. Thanks a lot, Curtis. My pleasure. 
was the Canola Council of Canada's Curtis Rempel. That's another edition of Between the Rows. I'm your host this week, Gord Gilmore, saying so long, and hopefully we'll soon see some rain. Part of being a farmer is being an accountant, and a mechanic, and a chemist. You have lots on the go. So FarmLink makes your grain marketing go further. We help you reach your financial goals with calculated sales decisions. No bias, just solutions and results. Plus, with our new app, GrainFox, we bring every opportunity right to your fingertips. Literally. Start seeing the returns that'll get your family ahead. You've earned it. FarmLink. Your work is worth more. Get started at farmlinksolutions.ca.